From the Boston Globe, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. A mixtape, or a breakup mix CD, is only partially about the breakup. It's really a Trojan horse for letting someone know that they're not going through it alone, that they're going to get through it and they're going to be okay. This is my friend Patrick. He hosts a community radio show called Pop Culture Experiment, and he is a master playlist maker. This dates back to his childhood when his older sister made him his first mixtape. It had some Madonna, some R.E.M., and some Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Patrick was hooked. Soon he began making mixes for his friends. Then, as he got older, he took on a more solemn, more delicate task, making mixes for people who'd been dumped. You're dealing with all sorts of emotions, and you're trying to figure out what buttons you want to push and what buttons you don't want to push. I talked to Patrick recently about one of my big breakups. I wanted to know what he would have prescribed for me musically at the time. I was so miserable. So I remember that when I first got dumped, I got into bed and just wanted this, like, specific taco salad. But I was, like, too sad to get out of the bed to get the taco salad. What is the song for that mood? I think Fleetwood Mac's Dreams is uh, one that I think is always a great melancholy thing because... It's sad, but it's also, like, there's just something about it that is, like, subtly cheering and cheery, even if it's just a depressing song. Right after that stage, I was immediately in disbelief and went straight to bargaining and begging. Like, it can't be over. So what what song for that? So the Spinners' I'll Be Around would be the song that I would suggest for that because it's heartbreaking, but it's also like, I'll leave, but only because you want me to, but as soon as you change your mind, I'll be here. Now, an alternate to that is Rick Astley's Whenever You Need Somebody, and it's basically the same premise, and it's like, Whenever you need somebody. I'll be around. And he, it's, this, it, it's a cover of a song like from you know, a year or two earlier, but, like, I, as your friend, would want to try to find a way to kind of cut the tension, and I feel like nothing cuts tension better than Rick Astley. There was a point at which I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I'm ready to date again, but I'm scared of this happening all over again, and I probably needed some sort of hopeful song. What what would you have put at the end of that mix? Ian Dury and the Blockheads, Reasons to be Cheerful, Part 3. And that is a song that's really not about breakups at all. It is just a list of Ian Dury singing about things that make him cheerful. But it's not this chicken soup for the soul kind of list. I mean, he I think there's like references to booze and women and swearing and Buddy Holly. And he's just like listing all of his favorite things. And uh, It occurred to me while I was talking to Patrick that the best breakup songs are the ones that make you feel like you're part of a tribe. I mean, if George Michael can get dumped, if Janet Jackson can get dumped, suddenly I don't feel so rejected anymore. So the idea that there is this person who sometimes is a hero of mine, someone who I greatly admire, that especially when when they've got a songwriting credit on it, I'm thinking this came from somewhere. Boy, is it a shared experience. I mean, I still can't get over the concept of somebody ever dumping or breaking up with George Michael. Who 
would ever. <laughs> Who would ever? If you're going to do it, do it right. <laughs> Talking to Patrick made me think about how central music is to both love and the end of love. Think of your first dance, or the slow jam you first made out to. Now think about a big breakup you experienced. Did you blubber through some dashboard confessional or Destiny's Child song, like over and over, just to keep going? Did it feel like the lyrics were written just for you? When I first heard the George Michael song, Waiting for That Day, I was a teenager and I loved it. But then it seemed to apply to every breakup I had as a grown-up. Every one. There's a lyric in that song for every heartbreaking experience. And then at the end of the song, he does this thing where he starts singing the hook from You Can't Always Get What You Want. It kills me. And then it puts me back together again. To get to the heart of what makes a breakup song work, I called up Bonnie Hayes. She's a songwriter who wrote for Bonnie Raitt, Bette Midler, and Cher, among others. She also chairs the songwriting department at the Berklee College of Music in Boston. Hello, Bonnie. Hello, Meredith. With you being the expert songwriter here, can you tell us about one or two breakup songs that you've written? I'd say that Have a Heart, which Bonnie Raitt recorded, was my most successful breakup song. And that I was in anguish over my longtime lover of eight years who has had become addicted to drugs and I realized that I had to leave him if I wanted to have a life this the this writing of songs like that is so ah it's like not conscious I mean we think about songwriting as this okay I'm gonna sit down I'm gonna think this stuff up and I'm gonna write a song but it's not like that it's it it sort of assembles itself in your subconscious and starts like protruding into your conscious I don't I don't know how to describe it but it's it's so beyond thinking of it that I still am in some ways really out of control of the amount of feeling that I have in songs sometimes there's less than I want sometimes there's more than I want it's such a wild tussle every time. Bonnie once wrote an entire album in response to a different, very difficult separation. I said it all. I said all. I said the anger. I said the sorrow. I said the, the I'm going to do it without you. I'm going to find another lover. All of that stuff that you feel. And in this case, the whole record is like a direct address to this other person. This is really fascinating because you're talking about the anatomy of songwriting and breakup songwriting in particular, where I would imagine that the most powerful breakup songs are really direct address songs, where you get the sense that you're eavesdropping on someone's breakup. Even though it's intimate and very specific, it can be universal because everybody's had literally the same conversation with an object of their affection inside of their own head. It's like what I was saying earlier about George Michael and Janet Jackson. There's this kinship between performer and listener. We see ourselves in these songs because we are these songs. We've lived these songs. I ask Bonnie whether she thinks music can speed up the healing process. Yes, because... I can't tell you how many times I've put on songs so I could cry. But as soon as I hear like the first three chords of certain songs, I immediately start crying, right? 
And for all of us, those songs are going to be different, and it's not necessarily a universal thing, but it's almost like it gives us permission to, like, bathe in whatever we're feeling. And especially, you know, when you do it on headphones and you're, like, in the world of the song, like the private, quiet, dark world of of whatever you're feeling. And I feel like songs, like, open the door to those feelings. And there's less thinking and more feeling, which I think is what we need to do when we're trying to get over something. Okay, this really hits home with me. After a breakup, especially in the early days, we need to feel more and think less. We should give ourselves permission to wallow. Let heartbreak run its course. Bonnie would say, grab your playlist, crank it loud, and open the floodgates. Feel whatever you need to feel. I think I have to say like a cheesy goodbye. So um, <laughs> so I'll do the, thank you so much for your expertise, Bonnie. This is fantastic. I'm an expert on love, baby. <laughs> and, and breakups. <laughs> and breakups. Yeah, I've done a lot. Done a lot of breakups. A good song can be deeply personal, yet connect in a profound way with perfect strangers. Sometimes, just listening to a good breakup song isn't enough to get you through. Sometimes, you have to get up there and belt it out yourself. I started seeing this guy. We had gone to the same college, but didn't know each other when we were in school. So we befriended each other in the years after I had graduated. He was living in LA, I live in New York, and he was traveling a lot for work, and so was in New York for a while. This is Maddie, she's in her late 20s. Her relationship with this guy begins as an infatuation. He's a filmmaker. She's an actress. Even though she lives in New York and he lives in L.A., they become inseparable when they're together. They start a romance. Then they go overseas to make a film together. It was all very dreamy. It was all very sort of like fantasy movie montage of a romantic life with a partner. But we sort of never articulated what our relationship was. It was just like we were sleeping together, but weren't, and in hindsight, didn't even really know each other very well. So we had this sort of like, I guess, superficial, outwardly romantic seeming thing where we were like traveling through Europe and shooting this movie in these beautiful locations. Back in their respective cities after, they spend months in a long-distance relationship. There are lots of late-night phone calls, like all-night phone calls. They're so late and so long that Maddie is barely sleeping. But she figures, this guy is her boyfriend. But then things start to unravel. It's suddenly clear that their expectations for this relationship don't match up at all. All I felt like I needed was to be able to call him my boyfriend. And to have some sort of formal terminology to assign to this relationship that I felt like I was mostly having with my telephone. And he would always say, 
that he would rather be like a loving friend who occasionally showed up rather than a sort of crummy absentee boyfriend. Everything comes to a head when Maddie takes a trip to L.A. for work. She's planning to be there for a full two weeks. And I was looking forward to going out there and having time on his home turf and getting to see him. But when she gets there, all this boyfriend can tell her is that he's really busy. It was always just like, like I'm in the middle of a really intense screenwriting session with my writing partner and I can't leave. Or like, I'm going through footage and I can't leave. Which, like, all of those are valid up until a certain point where it's like, you need to stop and eat a meal and I will eat a meal with you. Or like, you have to stop and sleep and like... I will, like, come and sleep next to you and talk to you for 20 minutes on either side of sleeping or whatever. Like, we saw each other for, like, maybe... I went over to his place and saw him and spent the night, and that was it. Like, that was the one time that I saw him in this two-week period. And that was, like, a romantic encounter. That was a romantic encounter, which then sort of made me feel like sullied and I felt like a call girl I feel I I felt like I had like gone to his house and we'd had sex and then it was like that was my only purpose it gets so bad that the guy's best friend volunteers to entertain Maddie on her final night in LA he takes her to a place called Ye Rustic Inn a karaoke bar in Los Feliz. They call Maddie's so-called boyfriend. They beg him to join them. It was getting later and later, and he kept on saying, I'll come, I'll come. And he kept on not showing up, and he kept on not showing up. And finally it was late, and I was tired, and went back and cried myself to sleep in his best friend's bed while his best friend slept on the couch. And She even makes one last-ditch effort to see him the next day, before her flight. Same answer. He's too busy. So Maddie goes back home to New York, dejected. But she still can't quite shake him, even though she knows she should. Eventually, they resume those late-night phone conversations. I couldn't force myself to make a clean break, and I couldn't just excise him completely from my life. Even though I knew, even though I knew that it was unhealthy, and other people kept on telling me it was unhealthy. After some time, Maddie comes up to Boston to perform in a play. And after yet another late night on the phone, her director and another actress take her aside and give it to her straight. She's staying up all night, and it's actually affecting her work. This guy, whatever he is, isn't worth it. After that, Maddie goes out with some friends from the theater, and she finds herself at a karaoke bar again. It's called Limelight, and it's right by Boston Common. They had a song that I love to do at karaoke but often cannot do because most places don't have it, which is It's Over by Roy Orbison. So I was singing that. And as I was singing that song, I sort of, I remembered that it was the song that I had wanted to sing when I did karaoke months before in Los Angeles. Uh, It starts out, your baby doesn't love you anymore. And then dun, 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 dun. The 
sort of climactic peak of the song is like you just are singing like it's over it's over it's over it's over And, and I was singing it and like almost started weeping <laughs> in this like disco ball filled karaoke bar. It like struck me while I was singing that song like, oh, this was the song that I had wanted to sing back then. He wasn't there then. He's not here now. He's not here at all. It's over. Put it to bed. Put it to rest. And this, like, cathartic Roy Orbison moment was obviously not, it wasn't like a clean break. It wasn't like I instantly didn't care for him anymore. But it was, it felt like a very specific moment of me realizing that I shouldn't cling to it. I shouldn't want that any longer. Maddie had tried other methods of getting over this guy. I would be like sitting in a bar and would like look around at other guys in the bar and sort of try and find something about him to fall in love with. Like just like little tiny things to pull me slowly incrementally away from this guy. I was sort of like, oh, that guy is wearing his hat in such a cool way. Or like, oh, he holds his phone so lovingly or whatever. Tiny, tiny, stupid minutia. But, um, it, but it didn't work. It didn't work. But Roy Orbison worked. But Roy Orbison worked. But in this context, it was like, I was like getting down to brass tacks with myself. Music is like one of the few places that we allow ourselves such overt emotionality. Like, people are so transparent with their emotions in song when they're writing it or when they're performing it or when they're listening to it. I think it's so informative what songs we want to listen to when we're sad. You allow yourself to wallow when there's a soundtrack to it. Yeah, sort of like allowing myself a moment to exist in this like fantasy. I feel like so much of the relationship had been this sort of fantasy, like like movie romance rather than being a real thing. And so in a way, what I needed to get over it was like another movie fantasy moment. Thank you, Maddie. Is there anything else you want to sing for us? (laughs) Only after a couple drinks, probably. If you've been listening to the show and heard some of the other episodes, you know that I've been on a desperate search to come up with the best ways to get over breakups. Some have proven effective. Others, not so much. But music as a cure? I can feel pretty certain about it. The playlists that speak to our hearts also heal them. I'm not surprised that actually singing It's Over is what made Maddie realize it was. When I think about all the things I've done to feel better about my own heartache... I know it was music that made me feel less alone. It was Janet who helped me admit that I was desperate for someone to come back to me. 
it was George Michael who told me that I could be waiting for that day, but still find freedom. So wallow or sing or dance or whatever it takes. Feel more and think less. And do it with a soundtrack. And by the way, Patrick, who we heard from before, has made a special breakup playlist on Spotify just for you. You can find it at loveletters.show. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe. The podcast is produced, edited, and engineered by Amy Padula. Audio mixing by John Jenkins. Music by APM. Our executive producers are Scott Hellman and Janice Page. Special thanks to Joseph Tavares, Linda Henry, and Brian McGrory. So I want to hear from you. What music has gotten you through a breakup? What would your perfect breakup playlist have on it? Send us your thoughts at loveletters at boston.com. On our next episode, I'll explore that thorny question that seems to hang over many breakups. Can we ever get back together? And is that question preventing us from getting over it? Be sure to subscribe to Love Letters on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're online at loveletters.show. And of course, if you like us, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, and before we go, one last little bit of wisdom from Patrick. After that, I believe I went to a place of how could you, don't you know how amazing we are slash I am. (laughs) At this point, I think I would whip out Madonna's Express Yourself and I would say, come on, girls, do you believe in love? Because Madonna's got something to say about it. And it goes a little something like this. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.